Peace be with you. My name is Drew. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, for nearly 2,000 years, the doctrine of the Trinity has been widely regarded as an essential and foundational doctrine. Really, it's the Bible's preeminent revelation that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons in perfect union. And this doctrine is part of what makes Christianity so distinct, um, but as we saw last week, that this truth is also built into the gospel itself. So today is week two of a, a three-week sermon series exploring the relevance of the Trinity for our everyday Christian life together. Our life together grows out of God's life together. Last week, Dodds beautifully articulated the manner in which our triune God has acted in space and time for our redemption and our adoption. But, but more than simply saving us, Father, Son, and Spirit have actually folded us into their life together. So today we'll be discussing the nature and purpose of the church in light of that reality. And as I, I think we'll see, the nature of the church really cannot be detached from the purpose of the church. The two are inseparable. The passage Pablo just read for us is commonly called the Great Commission, and the Great Commission explicitly states the purpose of the church. But I think these verses have just as much to teach us about the nature of the church, all right? Let's get started. The last chapters of the book of Genesis, first book of the Bible, tell the story of a man named Joseph. Joseph and his 11 brothers were the sons of Jacob and the great-grandsons of Abraham. Joseph was faithful to his father, and so his father favored him by giving him authority within the family. Joseph's 11 brothers were more than a bit bothered by that. They stripped Joseph of his garments, they tossed him into a pit, and they sold him into slavery for a few pieces of silver. So they were upset. <laughs> Joseph was sold to an, an Egyptian named Potiphar who worked in the household of Pharaoh. But throughout all this, God was with Joseph, and the Egyptians began to notice. Through pain and suffering, Joseph waited patiently and trusted the Lord, and over time, he was given more and more authority. And so out of the pit, out of slavery, Joseph ascended to the right hand of Pharaoh. He essentially became the prime minister of Egypt, and everything he touched prospered. Now there was a great, a great famine in the land, and Joseph was put in charge of managing the storehouses. People from around the world were coming to Egypt to buy food. And in fact, after about two decades, Joseph's 11 brothers come to Egypt to buy food. Genesis 42, 6. Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. So Joseph's 11 backstabbing brothers come to him and bow down before him. Joseph was betrayed by his brothers. He was vindicated by God. And from that place of authority, Joseph graciously blesses his brothers and blesses the nations. He gives them bread. And the kingdom of Egypt, the Bible says, grew, expanded, prospered. Now let's turn to the Gospel of Matthew, 
verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. The word here indicates that they actually bowed down before him. They fell on their faces. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Put yourself in the place of one of these 11 disciples. Just three days ago, you were taking a nap in the Garden of Gethsemane when Judas showed up to betray Jesus for a few pieces of silver. And what did you do? You ran away. You denied him. You turned your back on him. And now, the brother you thought was dead has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. What's he going to do with that authority? What is he going to do to you, with you, you who abandoned him, you who left him to die alone? Answer, he's going to do the most gracious thing imaginable. He's going to take all of that authority. He's going to bless all the nations. And he's going to use you to do it. There's so much going on within, within these verses. We've seen echoes of Joseph from the, from the story in Genesis. But even within the Gospel of Matthew itself, numerous themes find their fulfillment here. For instance, in Matthew 4, Satan takes Jesus to a very high mountain and he shows him all the nations, all the kingdoms of the world. In verse 9, Satan says to Jesus, all these nations, all these nations I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus declined the offer. But, but here's what I want you to see. At the very beginning of his earthly ministry, Jesus declines to claim authority over all the nations by worshiping Satan on a mountain. And now, at the very end of his earthly ministry, Jesus is worshiped on a mountain, having defeated Satan as he claims authority over all the nations. Let's read the entire passage again. Now, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Okay, so this passage begins with worship and ends with a commission. And it's no accident, by the way, that our, our Sunday gatherings follow a similar pattern. We are called to worship together, and then we close our time with a benediction. It's ascending. Worship gives way to mission. God calls us together. God commissions us together. Worship gives way to mission. Now, I, I want to zero in on verse 19. And there are, there are two, primary, two primary things I'd like for us to see, and it, it will help to know exactly what's being said in the original Greek, okay? So here's a literal translation of verse 19. Going, therefore, disciple all the nations, 
baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Going, therefore, disciple all the nations. So notice, in in the Greek, Jesus commands us to disciple all the nations. Disciple is a verb. He does not command us to make disciples of a bunch of individuals from a bunch of different nations. That is part of it, but that's not all of it. He commands us to disciple all the nations. Jesus begins by saying, all authority has been given to me, and then he says, disciple all the nations. In other words, Jesus is more than just the king of Israel or the king of the church. Jesus is the king of kings. He's the king of the world, and he's claiming authority over the kings and queens and presidents and prime ministers of the world. The gospel is inherently political, and so is the church. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying the church is a political party or a political agenda or that you all need to be Republicans or all need to be Democrats. I'm saying we have been welcomed into the loving and gracious household of a loving and gracious king whose authority supersedes all others, and we are his ambassadors on the earth. All of that language is political. This is how Philippians 2 puts it. God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's king to the glory of God the Father. So part of the church's job is to remind the rulers of this world that all must answer to a higher authority. We are called to disciple all the nations, which means we are called to advocate for peace and justice and freedom and a well-ordered society. The church must realize that the lordship of Jesus, the kingship of Jesus, must have implications outside these walls. It's not enough for us to form a holy huddle and blind ourselves to the evil that's around us. To do so would be to underestimate the full breadth of the authority Jesus is claiming. And so we advocate for the thousands of trafficking victims in our city. We advocate for the poor and hungry and homeless. We advocate for orphans. We advocate for foster children and for their biological parents. We advocate for the unborn and for their mothers. We do not passively accept corruption in government. We do not celebrate or justify arrogance or hubris. We are patriotic enough to work for the kingdom come. Why? Because Jesus is king. He's king. He's the king of the world and he cares about those things. The authority given to Jesus in Matthew 28 is precisely the authority to fulfill his own prayer in Matthew 6. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus prayed that and then he was given all the authority he needed to accomplish that prayer. And so our goal as the church is not to convert at least one person from every nation so that Jesus can finally come back. 
No. We are not done until every nation is brought into submission to the lordship of Jesus Christ. This is not your run-of-the-mill world conquest. Uh, We do not advance God's kingdom with weapons. We don't advance it with boycotts or crafty arguments. In love, in humility, we are calling everyone, every human being on this planet to bend a knee to the Prince of Peace so that they might experience the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. So that's the first thing I want us to see. Disciple all the nations is about so much more than converting a bunch of individuals from around the world. It has societal implications. Let's read verse 19 again. This is the literal Greek. Going, therefore, disciple all the nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So let's talk about baptism. Baptism is a triune event. We baptize into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The church, the church is the place where God has chosen to set his name. And baptism is a ceremony whereby we are welcomed into the triune fellowship. So, disciple all the nations means extend the offer of family to all the nations. In a real sense, baptism is a naming ceremony. We are all given the same family name, Father, Son, and Spirit. We are welcomed into the family of families. Having a new name means that we have a new past. We have a new family tree. Our heritage includes Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, Ruth, David, Solomon, so on. We were enslaved in Egypt. We passed through the sea. We built the tabernacle. We entered into the promised land. We were exiled. We were longing for the coming of the Messiah. Having a new name means that we have a new future. And our future includes everything the Father has promised to us, which is everything he has. As Dodds asked last week, what will we not inherit as the children of God? Having a new name means that division is dead and it must go on being dead. There is no strife or division within the triune family. There is no strife or division in our midst. Having a new name means the world should be able to look at us, at us, and see what God is like. Love, joy, peace, patience, etc. If the triune name is upon us, then how we live matters. We are called to demonstrate what it means to live under the lordship of Jesus and within the fellowship of the triune God. The church is a global community united by the Holy Spirit to the only begotten Son of God the Father, and baptism is part of how that gets accomplished. The Father declares that we are his beloved children. The Spirit unites us to the body of the Son. We are all together folded into the triune family and we become a family on mission. 
We have a wonderful name to live into, and we have a wonderful name to live up to. So we, we disciple all the nations by baptizing. We also disciple all the nations by teaching. Verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Baptism begins a lifelong process of discipleship. Discipleship is learning to obey all the commands of Jesus. This is, this is the long road toward the culmination of our redemption and adoption from one degree of glory to another. We are being conformed into the full measure of Jesus himself. We start to look more like him individually and corporately. And like a good father, like any good father, God uses teaching and discipline to grow us into adulthood. So there are so many things we, we could say about teaching. Um, just, I just want to say this. The goal of our teaching is not that everyone will know all that Jesus commanded. The goal of our teaching is that everyone will observe all that Jesus commanded. The emphasis here is on obedience, not, not mere knowledge. Discipleship is learning to obey all the commands of Jesus, not just to know a lot about the Bible. After all, Adam and Eve knew the command of the Lord, right? Lack of knowledge was not their problem. Their problem was a problem of the will. And so by the power of the Holy Spirit, the church ought to be serious about observing all the commands of Jesus. When we as a church community truly observe the commands of Jesus, our loving deeds will evangelize our neighbors. Our loving deeds will evangelize our neighbors because our life together provides the backdrop against which the nations will examine the authenticity of the gospel. Our life together provides the backdrop against which the nations will examine the authenticity of the gospel. Either the nations will examine the authenticity of the gospel against the backdrop of our selfishness, pettiness, disagreement, and disunity, or the nations will examine the authenticity of the gospel against the backdrop of our sacrificial love and unity. In other words, the nations need to hear the love of God spoken to them, but they also need to see it demonstrated for them. In the words of Brendan Manning, if, if we teach the commands of Jesus but fail to observe the commands of Jesus, we are like travel agents handing out brochures to places we've never visited. But if we are truly functioning as the family of the triune God in love, joy, peace, and all the fruit of the Spirit, the world, the nations, will want to know what we believe. So Christians who observe all the commands of Jesus ought to be ready at all times to share the gospel. We ought to be ready to tell the world that King Jesus has come to set creation back on track. By his death and resurrection, he has dealt with sin. He has defeated death. 
But he didn't just come to make us better people or to rescue us out of the world. He has been given all authority to usher in the world we all want. The nations desperately need to hear that. He's inviting all the nations to be baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. He's inviting all the nations to be washed, consecrated, made holy, to receive redemption and adoption into the family of God. He's inviting all the nations to form themselves into one united and holy kingdom, the church. When we are baptized into the triune family, we don't we don't just join God's household. We actually become God's household. Ephesians 2 says that we are together the dwelling place of God. He is present amongst us and he is building his church into a worldwide temple within which to dwell. If you open your Bible to the end of the Old Testament, right before this Gospel of Matthew, you'll see the book of Malachi. But the last book of the Hebrew Bible is actually Chronicles. Jesus and his disciples would have considered Chronicles to be the last book of the Old Testament. So let's, let's see how it ends, all right? At, at the end of the book of Chronicles, this is over 500 years before the birth of Jesus, the tribe of Judah is in exile. They are captives in Babylon. However, King Cyrus of Persia defeats Babylon and he releases the tribe of Judah from their captivity. Not only does Cyrus release them from their captivity, he commissions them to return to Jerusalem and rebuild God's temple. This is from 2 Chronicles 36, the last verse of the Hebrew Bible. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. And he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may the Lord his God be with him. Let him go up. Cyrus says, God has given me authority over all the kingdoms of the world. Go, therefore, and build him a temple. He will be with you. Sounds familiar, right? both Cyrus and Jesus commissioned the building of temples. Cyrus commissioned a brick-and-mortar temple in the city of Jerusalem. Jesus commissions a human temple that covers the entire earth. Jesus is the greater Cyrus. He's the world emperor with all authority who sets God's people free and commissions them to build a temple. But rather than going back to Jerusalem, he sends them out to all the earth, away from what is comfortable and familiar. And so it's important that he then says, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus says, wherever you go, I am there. No matter where you go, no matter what you do, no matter the threats or dangers confronting you, you are secure in the promise made to you in your baptism. You have been enclosed and surrounded by the triune God. Everywhere we could possibly go is already under the dominion of our king. 
And remember, the 11 disciples were coming off a week of epic failure. But Jesus commissions them not because they are great and noble and gifted, but because he has been given all authority. He is humble enough to share and bestow his authority. He sends us in our weakness, in our fumbling words, in our our stumbling ways. He sends us to go, to, to work, to love, to live, to bear the gospel message, to make disciples and multiply parishes and plant churches. We go in weakness, but we go with his authority in his name. We go as evangelists. We proclaim that the crucified and risen Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. He has won the victory over sin and death, and he has come to bring the world we all want. Again, the nations need to hear that. We go as neighbors. We practice sacrificial hospitality. We welcome the needy into our homes. We give spiritual and material assistance liberally. We work for social justice through prayer and service. We go as martyrs. We take responsibility for the brothers and sisters around us and we lay down our lives in their service. We do not shy away from joining in the suffering of this world. We embrace it. We take ownership for the brokenness around us. After all, it's my sin is what's wrong with the world. We go as multipliers. We disciple one another. We disciple anyone who will give us a listen. Meaning, we lead them to the waters of baptism and we teach them to observe everything Jesus commanded. And rather than lamenting parish multiplication because it's uncomfortable, we celebrate parish multiplication because the temple is expanding. We take an active role in planting new churches, in new neighborhoods, in new nations. The church is the family of God the Father. The church is the kingdom of God the Son. The church is the temple of God the Holy Spirit. We are the heavenly Jerusalem the capital city of God's kingdom. The church is the new humanity, first fruits of a new age. The church is the body of Christ, and the body of Christ was given for the life of the world. The church is a family on mission. So next steps, get baptized into the family. If you've already been baptized, remember and reconsider the triune name which has been set upon you. Disciple your neighborhood. Observe all the commands of Jesus. Teach others to observe all the commands of Jesus. Become fluent in sharing the good news of the kingdom of Christ. And trust that Jesus is with you everywhere you go. Let's pray.
Father, it is good to it is good to call these people family. It's good to call you family. It's good to have this family name. And we we do, we ask you, we invite you to grow us into adulthood. Jesus, we we praise you as the crucified and resurrected king of the world. And we join with you in claiming your inheritance of nations. Holy Spirit, bind us together. Work through us to accomplish this commission, this beautiful, humbling, overwhelming commission. And dwell in our midst. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.